episode 166 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. Uh, we're back this week after taking a week off for Thanksgiving. I'm James, joined by Brad, Paul, and Ryan. Guys, how how was your week off? Um, great, fine. I don't know. It was the COVID holiday, so it did just, nothing. Yeah, it just <laughs> it seemed like normal time. As pre- there are no holidays, you know, time is a flat circle. Doesn't have any meaning. All that jazz, as we always say, yeah. eat at Arby's. Did you have good food though? <laughs> uh, we had good food. We we uh, we don't really like turkey. We decided as a family, so we made a Trader Joe's spatchcock chicken, which was excellent. Those are great if you have never partaken. Um, they're easy to make and already seasoned for you. They're great. Made stuffing because um, stuffing is the best side by far. Yes, and uh, you know had had good cocktails. So that's really all you need. I I agree that turkey is the garbage holiday meat. I really am more ham because I like my food to have flavor and warm paper just isn't, you know, up my alley. (laughs) You're working Mike Schur's side of the street now. (laughs) Well, except that Mike hates um, hot fruit based desserts, which is a ridiculous thing. Well, he hates everything. He does hate everything. That's also true. But his his food opinions are pretty, pretty bad. Pretty terrible. With turkey, I agree it's fine as a vessel to get gravy to my mouth, mm-hmm. but ham also doesn't need gravy. So, like, That's a ham good point. could play plain better with gravy. Well, and there's lots of other gravy vessels that yeah, you, you don't can use. For that. It doesn't have yeah, to be turkey. Like mashed potatoes are is the far superior gravy vessel. Yeah. Back to sure, real quick, I, I do want to point out that his terrible food opinions do serve a purpose because. Um, much of the good place is based around finding foods that people will on, at the surface um, enjoy, but when you dig down a little bit, hate. Um, yeah. Like every reboot of the bad place involves that um, dynamic. <laughs> yeah. And his ability to yogurt and uh, yeah, exactly. Clam chowder. It's just milk and bug juice. Um, every all of his abilities to come up with that uh, have made that show much better. So it's good that he has bad food opinions. He just shouldn't share them outside of that context. <laughs> Yeah, but the wife uh, and I like are full on quarantining and have been like this entire time. So we had pizza. Yeah. You know, this this totally is the, the, the time to kind of throw out all the things that you were doing just because you always did that, right? So you everybody's free to celebrate the way they wanted to. Fantastic. Well, so yeah. It's the two of us. I'm not making a tr- I know people who did like full on Thanksgiving meals oh, yeah. and then they're complaining today and they're like, why am I still eating this? I was like, hey, you probably shouldn't be. Until <laughs> <laughs> a week later, man. Yeah. B, right. like you, it's because you made enough food to feed 14 people. Like yep. adjust the recipe. Damn. <laughs> the math isn't that hard. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I, I hope everybody kind of had a good Thanksgiving, stayed safe stayed home but in the meantime uh let's get to the today's show because we have a lot to talk about actually stuff actually happens so we'll, we'll get to that in a minute but first we are sponsored by carbon four brewing you know their flagship fantasy factory ipa but their entire lineup's great uh whether it's block party dragon flute or outer space you can try them all at their brewery on the east side of madison you also get some cool merch online at carbon4.com use our promo code mke tailgate you get 20 percent off your order when you do that when you check out that's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also support our podcast network. That's at patreon.com slash tailgate For just five bucks a month, our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Brian and Brad. And uh, they have another one coming out in the next couple of ga- days. Uh, Ryan, what are you guys talking about? 
Well, we're going to be talking about some of the the minor league stuff that has happened. The Brewers signed, uh, was it Tyler Green? And there is potentially going to be news. There's supposed to be news coming very quickly here on what the affiliates are. Like, I think that's scheduled to come out on Monday. So hopefully we can get to that. And what was the other thing, Brad, that we were going to uh, talk we about? We have news on Brisbane. And oh, yep. Brisbane uh, yeah. Yep. So we are. we should have a bunch of stuff lined up for that. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, be sure to be on the lookout for that in the next couple of days. Uh, when you sign up to become a $5 or above patron, you also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods, previews of uh, Packers games every single week. In the meantime, we do have uh, big league brewers news to talk about. Uh, so while we were away, the non-tender deadline came up in the last week or so at the start of December. The brewers had plenty of guys. I think it was like 10 overall that were arbitration eligible. So they had a a lot of decisions to make. We kind of broke those down in the previous few weeks. Uh, What they did end up doing, though, they they ended up signing Manny Pena, Omar Narvaez, Daniel Vogelbach, and Orlando Arcia to one-year deals. They non-tendered Ben Gamble, Alex Claudio, and Jace Peterson, which I think were kind of the guys we had settled on probably being most likely to go. They did tender contracts to Josh Hader and Brandon Woodruff. No surprise there. But I think probably the the biggest surprise and the one that got kind of the most attention online was they, well, it was first reported that they were going to non-tender Corey Knable, right? But they ended up trading him to the Dodgers. Uh, Robert Murray was reporting earlier this week that they were about to non-tender Knable when they couldn't reach a deal. Dodgers called like five minutes before the deadline and player to be named later or cash. And let's be honest, it's probably going to be cash. Corey uh, Knable's uh, a Dodger. So, uh, Ryan, I know you had a lot of thoughts on trading Knable away and maybe just uh, freaked out by the fact that the Dodgers wanted him. Is is that kind of your your uh, feeling on that? Yeah, I mean, it's better than if you're going to non-tender him anyway and he's not going to be on your team and he's free to sign with anybody, you might as well trade him as opposed to just letting him go because you're going to get something, even if it's, you know, 10,000 bucks or something, whatever, you're going to get something right. back for him. So once you've made the decision that you're not going to tender him, you might as well do this. But it is annoying on a number of fronts. And because in a in a better world than what we live in right now with COVID and with the way baseball teams are run and all of it, you would bring Corey Knable back for what was it projected to be about five, five and a half million? Yeah, yeah. Five or six, yeah. Yeah, somewhere in there. You'd bring him back and you would see if he could regain some form like he was looking like it was possible he was at the end of the season, right? We we saw flashes of it at least. He was missing bats again after he came back from the DL. And you would you would take a shot on that and see if you could recapture some of that. But because the amount of money in in the previous market that we were looking at, five, five and a half million for a a good reliever is really nothing. That's that's not a problem. Teams should be able to fit that into their payroll, especially a team like the Brewers that values relievers so much. I think the issue when we're looking at it, though, is look at Corey Knable's last three seasons. Mm-hmm. 2018, he was only good in the last month. 2019, missed it all due to injury. 2020, he was only good for like the last couple of weeks. Right. He he hasn't for three seasons now had a track record of being that elite reliever that you're hoping is still there. Yes, he's had injury problems that can all be added up to say like, okay, this is why this happens. But we're looking at three seasons of a not consistently elite reliever. That's fair. Yeah, right. 
I think I think you got to keep in. So well, that's true, and that's like I'm sure the cold hard calculus they did, in addition to the cold hard calculus of not wanting to pay anybody. But we know his ceiling is elite reliever, and like that's what you're hoping with him, and that your internal scouting reveals. And just, I want to harp on Ryan's point a little bit more, which is just because all of the owners have collectively decided that they're not going to spend any money this offseason doesn't mean that we should lose sight of the fact that five million dollars for a reliever with that kind of upside is historically diddly squat. Um, and the, the fact that they did this is symptomatic of, I think, a larger problem that all, all the players are going to face this year. And uh, just more broadly on the kind of contraction of baseball spending um, across the board, like the, the owners, as they often do, are I mean, they're getting raked over the coals by some people for being cheap already, but they're really kind of going all in with with the we're poor. Um, lots of reports this week of various teams being super poor, having lost a lot of money. Um, and when you are trying to contract the miners and change the entire miner system and not pay players money, you know, that's a nice narrative to have out there being spoken for you. So it, we should not completely buy into it. And we should always keep in mind that $5 million for all of these owners is in fact diddly squat. And, and, and so if you think anything of Knievel, it's unfortunate that this happened. Right. And I guess my argument isn't that he didn't deserve the money because look we were paying like matt barnes like two, four and a half million two years ago you know <laughs> like yeah yeah look at look at the matt barnes ceiling which i thought he was mostly a fine signing and for what the brewers needed of him and what they signed him to do but you if you're looking at what matt barnes was potentially capable of versus Corey knable for around a similar price tag you're looking at a, a very different threshold of return on that money that you're spending I agree that it's something that the brewer should be willing to spend because of the potential for work enable. I just think there's a little bit more justification when you're looking at how they're behaving with everything else than some of the other decisions that were on the table to be made. And I'm happy they got nothing or something for him rather than nothing. Uh, I mean, it's definitely less or more justified than I think like cutting Brad hand. And I think that's like the two things I look at side by side. It's like, well, Brad hand was just straight, like waved. I mean, Corey Knable was going to be non-tendered, but they're in similar boats in my mind of like, but Brad hand actually has the recency of performing exceptionally well and definitely earning that $10 million. Yeah. Well, but Brad Hand, Brad Hand was put on waivers, and nobody picked him up. They could have had him right. for that price, and nobody wanted him. Right. Which now is making me start with how weird this offseason has already been. It's starting to make me think that the industry knows something about Brad Hand that the rest of the world doesn't. Maybe. Because I mean, I don't think that we've had. I so I, I have I have a conspiracy theory about the industry, generally speaking, um, <laughs> which, which I'm happy to share here. Wait, go for it. <laughs> Paul's um, conspiracy corner. Let's go. Yeah, during during the COVID negotiations, the the labor negotiations that happened because it became apparent there were no fans, the owners tried to institute what is essentially a salary cap. And they wanted it forever. This is no secret. Um, the thing is, the owners are allowed to conspire via the antitrust agreement. They can actually communicate with each other. They can um, they can have communications to hold down salaries, and. You know, baseball teams are all super duper sophisticated. They, you know, we, we talk about analytics on the show. We know that everybody has a front office that is like basically finance geniuses. Um, they can have a salary cap because they can just come up with one and share it between all of them and then just put it into, uh, into effect. And when something like Brad Hand goes on waivers, they can all know each other's situations and enforce that, especially on a season when they all want to keep costs down. Like 
this is when people conspire when there's huge operating revenue loss and i think that that maybe is what what you're seeing here and when the cba comes around and they try and get a salary cap back in again I think that they may be able to use the fact that they are doing it now as a bit of a weapon against the players, basically saying, hey, um, you know, we're not allowed to openly conspire, kind of, but we all, we do, and we kind of are allowed to openly conspire. And so why don't we have more certainty here instead of the uncertainty that you guys currently are dealing with, since you don't know what we're going to pay you. And we've been operating under sort of a faux salary cap ever since, what, two CBAs ago when the penalties started to really escalate up at the top for people going over. And when you saw yeah. teams really start to say, it is, it does not make financial sense for us to go over the luxury tax and stay there for an extended period of time. And so everybody was scrambling to get back under it. You saw it with the Dodgers when they hired Friedman, basically to do exactly that, to get them back into like a financial sane place after what they did at the at the very end of the previous regime where yep. they took on all those salaries. And I could see it being very attractive because salary caps in other leagues come with salary floors. The players in salary cap leagues are guaranteed a percentage of revenue most of the time. When we've talked about baseball, revenue is hard to calculate because it comes from a lot of different places. But the players seeing all of this may start to see a salary floor as more appealing than they have in the past. So I, I can kind of see the broader strategy here maybe is attacking them in that way. I, I could definitely see that happening too. Sure. Uh, we have plenty of salary talk ahead, but I just want to <laughs> loop back to Knable uh, for a little bit. You know, obviously, based on what he's done in the past, he'd be worth $5 million easily, right? Like all-star closer, that kind of thing. Even pitched well in, in you know, like the eighth inning when he wasn't the closer with a capital C. We should note that the Brewers did try to, it sounds like, sign him to a deal to avoid arbitration. So they didn't think he was totally done. Right. I don't know. Maybe maybe the fact that they didn't want to sign him for that five million, which, by the way, would not be guaranteed if they went through arbitration. They could still, you know, cut him for pennies on the dollar in spring training or whatever. You know, I, I saw that kind of argument brought up, too, where, sure, maybe you don't think he's right. But I mean, still offer him arbitration show up in spring training, see if he's got anything left. If he still looks cooked, you cut him for like 800000 no skin off your back, right? But maybe that's just a sign that they don't want to spend any money without having to to really do so, right? I don't I don't know. Anyway, I, and I know Ryan, too, kind of brought up this point on Twitter that the, the Dodgers have a history of taking flyers on these guys, right? Like we saw them sign Blake Trainin last year for, what was that, like $10 million when nobody else wanted him? Mm -hmm. And Sure and enough, like exceptionally well, right? Exactly. So, you know, it, maybe that's part of it too. The, the the old axiom: don't trade with the Rays, don't trade with the Dodgers, kind of thing. <laughs> but again, if you were going to not tender him, then yeah, you might as well just get something for him because right, there's right. no downside. He's going to end up on another team anyway, regardless. The the question was just how that was going to all play out. And I guess from Knable's perspective, it's better for him to be traded. Because then the Dodgers are presumably going to they they extended him a uh, arbitration offer right him, yeah. yeah they tendered yeah. him yeah. so for him that's better than having to hit the open market and potentially get less than that so and you know this is probably a gamble half the cost of what they took on training in and if Kenley Jansen continues to look like he's no longer an elite closer you have somebody who's proven to be that before so you know. Overall, it seems like a pretty smooth, uh, smart 
pickup by the Dodgers. Yeah, it was pointed out to me by people on Twitter that, well, they did this with Jimmy Nelson and look how that worked out. Yeah, it didn't work out. But for the Dodgers, this is this is coins in the the, yeah, yeah, in in the couch cushions like this doesn't this is just an upside play for them and they'll make a bunch of them and some of them won't work, but they don't need all of them to work for the overall strategy to be viable. They also signed Jimmy Nelson in free agency for next to nothing as an experiment, yeah. as a known experiment yeah. with the opportunity for him to make an actual salary. Yep. It wasn't, it's I, I don't think the yeah. two are comparable at all Agreed. because everyone had known Jimmy Nelson was a, a, a project and they were like, well, maybe we can polish him and get him out there. But then he ended right. up injured in a way that cost him the rest of the season. Right. But these are kind of the experiments that you have an advantage with being a large market team, right? You can you can take the five million dollar flyers on guys who may not pan out and just toss them aside if they don't. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess the other surprising thing with the arbitration offers, at least kind of based on, you know, we we spend a lot of time talking, do they keep Manny Pena or Omar Narvaez? And they ended up keeping both of them. And adding another guy. And <laughs> another, catcher. another catcher. Uh, so we've got a question on that coming up. But I guess, uh, first of all, uh, Brad, are you surprised that they kept both Manny Pena and Omar Narvaez? Extremely. Like, I confidently said Knable was gone when we had talked about arbitration decisions in earlier podcasts. The one thing I was also confident in was Pena and Narvaez were not both going to be on this roster. I thought Narvaez being the left-handed side of the platoon was going to be much better you know, and then you see people throwing more out the idea of Pena and Nottingham being platoons, and <laughs> that, that doesn't work. <laughs> right <laughs> that work. Uh, so that's why Narvaez was the favored one to come back in my mind, along with I think they were happy with his growth and progression. Uh, you know, he, they t- both take discounts, come back, and you have both, which I don't think is a bad thing. I, it just is a shocking thing, especially for now. Uh, to have catcher be the position, the stacked position, not stacked, but heavy (laughs) man position that outfielder was in 2018 and 2019 is is catcher. The new area that David Stearns is looking to get out ahead of of all the other teams. It just uh, seemed a little odd. I think it makes sense in like any other off season to keep both. Narvaez obviously has substantial potential and last season seemed like quite an anomaly. Uh, for his offensive performance and we saw significant as especially if you're following ryan and he did all looked at all the catcher measurements and narvaez was basically first for the important ones when it came to measuring catcher defense mm-hmm. pina historically has been exceptional for catcher defense and has also been at average or to slightly above average offensively when it comes to regular catchers and playing time uh, narvaez should be better it, it makes sense in a normal season to keep both but that they did it in this season is what's shocking because here they're looking to create more opportunity on the 40 man to sign these players who get dumped and players that you hope can have rebound seasons or players who had potential who never really came to fruition that you hope suddenly show it on your team which we've seen work out pretty well for the brewers in the past in the sterns era so there's a lot of multiple matters here that shock me that all of a sudden they're stocking the 40 man, especially a 40 man where they have very highly valued those spots with catchers. I mean, I, I thought once they put a prospect on the 40 man to protect him from the rule five draft in Feliciano, I yep. thought there's no way. There's no way both survived. They're going to keep that to four. Fritas is gone. And one of Pena or Nervais is gone. And they're going ahead with Feliciano, Nottingham and 
two catchers, but here we are. I was wrong, and it's quite the odd predicament, and I'm expecting them to make a super signing or something in the coming days, so we have seven catchers. JT Real Muto, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that they'd both survive until they signed Luke Mel, and then I thought one of them was doomed, and I don't understand what they're doing because having catcher depth doesn't actually seem that useful. Like, you know, if you have shortstop depth, those guys can play second base or third base in a pinch. If you have corner outfield depth, sometimes you can move them over to first base. Catch These are all, like, backup catcher bats. I don't What's mm-hmm. the plan here? Like, you can't move yeah. a guy over to first base for a couple. Like, that doesn't work. Yeah. So, uh, um, it, uh, yeah, there's, they have depth at the position, but, like, so what? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, on top of that, like, you look at – I know people get excited about Nottingham as the third catcher, but – he didn't exactly hit well. He just was fun. Well, I mean, he did. He's flashed some power and some plate discipline. Right. Yeah, which is which fun. Is, more, more you can say uh, for Luke Maley. But yeah, I don't know. All right. So we do have a, our first uh, Patreon question is about this kind of glut of catchers. Uh, Jay Google, screw you, Steve, uh, says uh, <laughs> with six catchers on the roster and three without options, what do you think they do? Do they trade one, release one, or does re-signing Pena allow Nottingham to maybe play some first base against left-handers? I guess, Ryan, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Not all these guys are going to be on the roster at the end of camp because they can't be. So they're going to have to make some decisions. And I think there's still like an excellent chance that Manny Pena doesn't break camp with the team, depending on what we see. I think they're, they're going to basically have to choose. I think Narvaez is going to be on the team. I think it's going to come down to either Pena or uh, Nottingham sort of as a competition in camp, like who looks the best, who is who is showing the most there, and they'll make the decision at that point. And I think that Nottingham probably has an advantage in that he's younger and that he is going to be cheaper. So if they are looking to save some money at that point, they can let Pena go. And then you still have Luke Malley, who does have an option. But basically, they're going to have to they're going to have to sort this out down the road. This is kind of just kicking the can down the road. And what it does tell me is that they're not super worried about, like, carrying these guys through the winter. This this doesn't indicate that they're going to be making a ton of signings. And I have more to say about that later because I have I have some thoughts, but we'll get to that later. I'm, I think Melee is the signing that, like, if you're playing minor league you have him at AAA as the like veteran catcher, which is something they've always seemed to want. But then what is Reedus doing? But <laughs> he seems very unlikely to make it, in my opinion. Yeah, he's not going to be on the team. Nope. I don't think more than a few more weeks. There, He'll be one of the people that gets cut from the 40-man to, yeah. aqu- to accommodate signings. Yeah. So the other thing is the five number, if you're planning on not expanding on that, which I'd... Pr- Outside of joking, don't think they are. The five number actually kind of makes sense when you look at with the 26-man roster, most teams plan to use the third catcher. Yeah. So having extra catcher depth in the organization, should you need it to continue keeping that, I guess is what kind of fits. And this gives the Brewers the flexibility then to if they're going to try the platoon game again, which I think is very likely that they will now that they're going into the season theoretically with the rules they thought they were going to have last season. I think the platoon game is something they try. And if that's the case, you can then use your two catchers who split at bats against particular types of pitchers. 
more but, aggressively having the third catcher on the bench. And maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it kind of comes down to taking a look if Narvaez, um, they see something like that he is going to rebound in camp versus if he, they just consider him, you know, if he doesn't perform well and he, he looks like the same lost cause and they make that decision, then they need a platoon partner for Manny. And if they believe in Omar and let Manny go, they need a platoon partner for Omar. So maybe maybe the depth that we see right now really comes down to starter plus opposite side backup more than anything else. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be time to figure this out. And, and for the most part, yeah, I think you guys are right that, you know, Fritas is going to be the DFA whenever they sign somebody. And they'll, you know, we'll, we'll go into camp with the big three of uh, Nottingham, Pena, and Narvaez and just kind of see how that sorts itself out. But Narvaez is the only lefty, though. Does yeah, that I was just I was just double checking that <laughs> frantically <laughs> on baseball. <laughs> yeah. So yes, but does that? I think we can take actually what Paul said, and that kind of points to Narvaez is the more likely one to stay if they're making yeah. a decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I could also see a situation where like those three are definitely out of camp, just with the twenty sixth roster spot. You know, you don't know. Speaking of. Uh, trying to figure out which rules you're playing under. We still don't know if the NL is <laughs> going to have a DH, which is absurd. You'd think the league would kind of, you know, make that known before teams had to make their uh, tender or non-tender decisions. Would you, though? I mean, I, the convincing argument I've heard about this is, yeah, MLB wants teams to be in limbo not knowing if they have a DH or not because it suppresses that part of the market. Yes, sure does. Yeah. Get, keeps teams from spending a bunch of money on it. Yep, yep. tweeted the now same thing have. that, Players Association should file something about this because it, it absolutely impacts a, a huge chunk. Like like Vogelbach maybe gets quite yes. a bit more if there, we know the DH is there. Kyle Schwarber is probably hugely impacted by this being out there right now. <laughs> Might Adam still Duvall. be on the Cubs. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, anyway, yeah. So, like, the DH I'd be ticked off if I were those guys. Yeah. I'd, I'd be screaming bloody murder. I'm ticked off, and I don't even have a stake in this, right? So, yeah, my last note on these tender non-tenders is Dan Vogelbach signed a one-year deal. Uh, so they obviously think enough about his bat to keep him around, even without knowing if they're going to have that DH spot. So I guess all my question is, if they don't, do you think he can play <laughs> first base well enough to to get by? I mean, he he was okay in short spurts, but full season. So I I think everybody can play first base well enough to play first base. Basically, I don't I, I know it does matter, but we had Prince Fielder on this team for a long time. Jesus Aguilar, we, yeah. Jesus Aguilar. I think a little underrated defensively. Nimble He's with good. the glove. You know, yeah. started third base for a game, which was amazing. <laughs> I was at that game. Juan Francisco. Crazy. Yeah. So Vogelbach, let's not... He's bad at it, but he if he can actually hit, which that's... The bigger problem is that, not the, the defense. Like, if he hits well enough, they'll play him at first base. They'll survive fine. But, you know, the hitting with him, he, he had a nice season. He was the offensive MVP, probably. <laughs> but uh, historically, he's not bad, so... But yeah, they'll stick with him at first base. They'll they they have such. This is the Brewers we're talking about. They they play Mike Mustakas at second base. They do all kinds of crazy crap. They will sure. absolutely play a guy who can't move very well at first base for a good chunk of a season and spell him in later innings with better people. That's fine. Well, and they don't even have to keep him because again, this is yeah. not a guaranteed not, deal. So guaranteed. If there's no DH, they can pretty easily say, "Hey, look, we thought there was going to be a DH. There isn't. Sorry, but bye bye." And that's, I think right. that's more likely actually it to is. happen. So, 
<laughs> I mean, I, I could see him as the 26th man, too, and you just use him as your top pitch hitter or something like that. But well, and we know. may not be looking at 26-man rosters again. We were at 28 all this year. We may be looking at 28-man rosters again, depending on what this season is going to look like. That it, it just it, There's still too much unsettled and too much unknown, but I think that that would definitely increase. If we had 28-man rosters and there was some sort of a maximum pitcher limit, that would dramatically increase the likelihood that we go with three catchers. So, yeah. yeah, I just don't believe that the Brewers actually care about defense. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it. <laughs> I mean, if Keston here is sticking at second base, they definitely don't care about defense, right, Brad? There, there's a bunch <laughs> of things to be said about it. Well, they care about defense at certain positions. Travis Shaw and Mike Lusak has played second. They do care about defense. The way that's the way they care about defense. They're 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 yeah. the biggest shifting team. They believe that yeah. they can. They can put immobile people where they need to be and cover the rest with, with people that are good defenders, and that's why they care about defense at some positions and not at others. So. Well, they care about it in the outfield for sure. But they definitely do that. Yep, they love having defensive outfielders, and they care about it hugely, more than maybe any other team at catcher. So they, yeah. they truly value it, and they have great coaching that helps bring people along and make them better catchers than they were. Hat tip to Charlie Green. I think Paul's point is the most accurate they care about it just not in the way you think most teams do where they sign the best defensive players for the infield because the infield is probably where that skill matters least because you can adjust your players around it right Mm -hmm. where in the outfield you can you can move your players into better positioning where the ball is more likely to be hit but athleticism actually does play a significant role in you being able to limit offense in that position where you can just put Vogelbach in a position to move the least amount he has to. And as long as he can catch most balls thrown at him, you're fine. Yeah, yep, exactly. All right. On to everybody's favorite topic, payroll. I, I'm going to get really sick of talking about this over the next <laughs> six oh, months, yeah. Ryan. But Ryan put this in, so I guess we have to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom Hodricourt was speculating this week that, you know, payroll is probably going to be about what is mid eighties or so, which would be about double the 42 million owed just to Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Kane, and Avi Garcia. Yep. That that's probably the ballpark we're working around. Uh, as of now, after all these contract decisions, the Brewers are sitting at around, it looks like 72 million million or so. And that's without the 6 million in buyouts that they have to pay. So I guess Ryan, uh, your thoughts on this and kind of, you know, we also got a glimpse at, you know, some of the financial losses that teams like the Braves may have had. So I guess what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah. So just trying to get an idea of where they're going to be. And I don't know. Do you guys know, like, do that six million, does that count against their like opening day payroll? Or I'm not even sure exactly how that works. Because I'm I'm trying to get a feel for what the payroll is actually going so to be. So I don't think it does, but I don't think that matters because the team can always just say, "Plus we had six million in this that we had to spend, and that's six right. million we don't have anymore." Yeah. So practically speaking, item, yeah. yeah, whether it's the line on, on opening day payroll or not doesn't matter because the team can make it more. They can add it to whatever narrative they want to add it to. Yeah, they can tell they can tell Tom to say it, and you know, <laughs> right. So the way that this works, though, you have to remember this is that that seventy two million number or seventy eight million, however you want to, to figure it. The way that this works is that is including fourteen spots on the roster. I think it was fourteen, if I remember correctly. Fourteen spots on the roster that are going to be paid league minimum. 
So right. that's inc- that's including that cost. So if you sign a guy for one million dollars, well, the league minimum is like five hundred fifty, six hundred thousand dollars. You would actually subtract the six hundred thousand dollars from that, and so adding a player for one million wouldn't subtract a million dollars from this. It would actually only subtract four hundred thousand. So it, it's the math gets a little bit weird and and funky in there, but I think they do have some room to do some things. I think they're going to add players. The question is just sort of what that's going to look like, and and. I think it's going to be late. I think they're going to wait and they're keeping them themselves flexible and with their options as open as possible so that they can do some things. And I think that, so basically this, the thing about the Braves and the reason I put that in there is I did talk about it on Twitter. If you want to get a good understanding of what the financial losses might have actually looked like last year in MLB, check out Craig Edwards article from December 1st on fan graphs about what the Braves can tell us about MLB's financial losses. The TLDR on it is basically they lost something like $65 million last year. That would be like losses. And that's not particularly surprising based on the, what happened in that season and the fact that it all had to be kind of constructed on the fly and figured out as things were going. But it does sort of point to the idea that, yes, like the Braves lost money. But if you look at who is spending money so far this winter, uh, the Braves have spent what they they went and gave uh, Drew Smiley. What was it eight million, 11 million, somewhere in there? It was like 11 million. Yeah. And they signed Charlie Morton, too. And Charlie Morton for like 15 million. So the Braves are spending money, even though they lost this money. So I think that that sort of should tell people that, yes, they, these teams may have lost money in this catastrophic 2020 situation but they're probably still in solvent enough financial shape or at least most of them are to be able to still operate like a normal ish baseball team going forward for 2021 so the crying poor is not completely baseless like i think teams really did lose some significant money this last year but as we talked about throughout the entire shutdown well, everybody's losing money. Like most people are taking it financially on the chin during this time because it's a pandemic. You know, this is this is a, a once in a hundred year event. And so why they think they should be immune to that, I, I don't know why they would think that. And they probably in most of these cases in other parts of their business empires, because basically none of these people now that the will ponds are gone. Basically, none of these people, uh, baseball is their sole like income generator. Right. And we know that people who are billionaires, other parts of their empires are probably doing just fine, if not great. Yep. So we, we can say that, yes, baseball has lost some money and there is some reason for some financial carefulness, I guess, going forward, especially without knowing what the, the landscape is going to look like, what the revenue picture is going to look like. I get that teams want to be careful. But they're probably being a lot more careful than they need to be. Well, sure. Yeah, they definitely are doing that. Uh, this is this is an excuse for everybody to reduce salaries, reduce spending, and that's based in reality. Like people are made less last year than they made in previous years. It's a bad situation. It's a down economy. That's all true. It, it's just a matter of scale, and it's also worth noting that yes, baseball teams had their their operating revenue decline. But most people who own baseball teams don't get rich from that anyway. They get rich from mm-hmm. the fact that baseball teams grow in value and then they sell them and then they make huge profit. Now, you, you can't necessarily just tap that all the time, 
to make up for losses, but you, you can definitely tap it sometimes to make up for losses. And borrowing is also super cheap right now too. So everybody has liquidity available to them. Everybody in baseball has assets. Everybody has borrowing ability. So no, nobody's in any danger of not being able to pay anything or solvency or anything like that. And everybody will be perfectly fine as soon as everything's back to normal. So these are business people. They won't waste a good crisis. Um, they have labor negotiations coming up. And this is perfect for them to position themselves in a, in a strong position to go hard against the players. And that's what they're going to do. So it's real, but it's the, the owners are making it more real than it probably actually is. Yeah. <laughs> great great ad brad thank you yep thank you for happy that. to be here this is why you yeah. bring me in i think yeah. it's for money talk <laughs> money talk yep. retweet yeah the brewers have lost ryan braun's contract so if they don't bring in another 20 million dollars i'm going to storm the gates with pitchfork and torch and be cranky about it because <laughs> Cheap Mark is at it again, right? Yeah. I mean, we should we should be out there. We should be signing the Springers, the Bowers, the Real Mudos, All trading right. for the Strowmans. <laughs> <laughs> this this would be a good reminder, as uh, Paul is fond of saying. Mark Adonacio is not even the majority owner of the Brewers. He's got Correct. shareholders to answer to who are, I'm sure, also all looking to uh, cut costs where possible. So he is not the only one making these decisions right now. So then yeah. why does he get those very good seats? He has good hair. <laughs> good hair. Mark, Mark Antanasio has great hair. And so you put him in the great seats so that on TV, people get to see his great hair and people like him for that. So. He's That's a fairly why. photogenic owner. Yes, yeah, he really yeah. is. Plus, his son has a rock band, so there's there's that too. Like the Ricketts uh, just look like evil people, and so the more they're on <laughs> the more they're on camera, the worse it is for the Cubs. But Mark Antanasio looks like a decent fellow. So, yeah, I mean, he it. doesn't look like Ted Cruz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're talking oh. about uh, Tom Ricketts, by the way, who is yeah. a dead ringer for Ted Cruz. Dead ringer for Ted Cruz, really dead on, amazing. Really? Might With, be the without person. the pandemic beard. I've yeah. only seen the uh, other Ricketts, who has like kind of a. Oh my God, he is! Yeah, he really is. <laughs> I can't believe you never saw that until All now. Right. <laughs> oh my! All uh, right, uh, we got a few more Patreon questions. Let's let's get to those. Can I do one um, more Ricketts rip really quick before we get to a Patreon question? Sure. Probably. I like it when yeah. I like it when the universe tells you in the name of something about the thing, like Foxconn, <laughs> and. Ricketts is a disease that you get if if you don't get enough vitamin D from the sun. So it's like it's like they're vampires kind of. Like so I I just have always enjoyed that. You mean they're named after the name of like the hidden uh, villain and you're like it was in the name the entire the time of the murder sci-fi yeah, novel. Cuz they're literally named after like a disease you get from not going outside enough. And so it really is just like the most villainous, you know, you know, like in the natural, the owner sits in his box with the shades drawn all day. Like that's how you get rickets. Like it literally, <laughs> it, so, Wait, okay. That, that's enough. Okay. Didn't Tiny Tim have rickets? What was that? Tiny Tim had rickets. I think right? Tiny Tim had rickets. Yes. I think they just didn't correct. let that poor kid outside enough. 
Let them be the sun. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's England. So, and it's also England in the middle of the Industrial Revolution. So there was no sun. Oh, so there's a constant fog over the top of the city yeah. that's blocking the sun. It's like uh, the real life Mr. Burns of the 1850s. Just exactly. Oh, the it, 100%. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. I'm on board. <laughs> All right. I don't know how to segue from that. So James Vandenberg has a question. <laughs> Back to the tender, non-tender discussion. James is asking, do you think any of the three players that were non-tendered, being Gamble, Peterson, and Claudio, still are on the roster in 2021, like what happened with Claudio last year? I guess, uh, Paul, what, what are your thoughts? Gamble, Peterson, Claudio, any of them come back? So normally I would say that Claudio would come back because just, I don't, I have a thing with Claudio where I've never seen him record an out. Um, and <laughs> that's right. Th- even though I know he's actually pretty good. However, the way that they're, I, I see them kind of being cheaper than that with relievers. I, I don't know that they're going to bring any veteran reliever back. So I'm going to say, I'm going to bet against this. Uh, maybe they'd have one of the, maybe Jace come back. Cause I, I assume he would cost like literally nothing, but I don't think any of them will be back. I think they're kind of done with Gamble and they have too many outfielders anyway. And, Claudio, I think, is the one that is most likely, but I think it'll cost too much for their cheap season that they're going to have. So I'll say no. Now, my argument against the Peterson comment is he was projected to make like 700000 this yeah. year. Yeah, and they so, still untendered him. <laughs> yeah, and they still got him. I think the only way these three come back is on minor league deals, yeah. which I don't think is unlikely. I think there's a decent possibility that that happens. They have familiarity, and they'll likely be the first people called up to actually serve on the team after that minor league deal. I was a little shocked that Jace Peterson got cut because they seemed to like his versatility and he cost nothing. He cost nothing, yeah. $700,000. Less than nothing. You want to know why he he isn't brought back? Because they have other players who can do exactly what he does. Sure, and also he doesn't have an option left. Oh, Oh, the option. Yep. Uh, So that's where you sign him again for a minor league deal. You start him in the minors and then you bring him up when you you have my, I have my, make your own option to get a to be on a David Stearns 40 man roster right here. And I, you know, I didn't even look to my left and see what was on the wall. That's my bad. Number one one, (laughs) options. Number two, cheap. Number three, left-handed. Yeah. There you go. Plays well in Miller park. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Ryan, any of those three come back, do you think? No, I don't think so. I think that uh, Claudio is probably, he's just too limited of a use of a player right now. And Joel Sherman made a really interesting point on MLB Network this week. I brought this up on Twitter, too, that he thinks that there's going to be teams that are really struggling just to find innings this year because of the fact that they're going to have to be careful with how many innings they have guys pitch this year based on not having many innings last year that teams are going to be careful, especially with younger pitchers who they value highly. They're going to be very careful not wanting to extend those guys too much. So I think that that does lead to probably a need for guys who are on your roster to cover more innings. And that ain't Alex Claudio. That's not what he does. Alex Claudio comes in and he is at best going to like in a non competitive situation, he's going to come in and get you some outs like when you're, you're behind or if you are competing or if you're, you're in a game and you're, you're leading, he's going to be used more as a specialist and you're going to get him out as soon as you can. Like the, the three batter rule does make that more complicated, but there are still, you know, end of inning situations and all that, that he, he will still be gotten out of the game basically as fast as you can when the team is going well that just doesn't isn't conducive to covering innings and I think they're going to be looking at needing to do that 
And I think it does also shed light on why they kept uh, both Benninger and File. Because those guys, that is that is a thing that they're going to be able to do. They will be able yep. to offer innings to the team in either, you know, a back-end starter way or potentially as a middle reliever kind of Brett Suter type role. So, yeah, true. Alex yeah. Claudio is never going away. And it's going to pain me forever. <laughs> they gave up draft capital to get him. And they're never going to let him go away. Brad's nemesis and constant reminder of the draft pick that was. Like I'm so sorry had. that this happened to you, Brad. Yeah, it's, it's accepting all virtual hugs and uh, yeah. contributions to our Patreon to help me get the counseling uh, <laughs> that I need to get over this. If you want to support yeah. Brad's need for mental assistance because of the Alex Claudio draft pick, just go to Patreon, sign up for five dollars. It really helps us. And be entered to win a bobblehead. There you go. Yeah, let, we'll see who uh, David Stearns just gives away that pick for this year because it's become an annual tradition. So, <laughs> a tradition and, and like that, like, <laughs> like any other. And then uh, Brad can have a giant rant on the Minor League Extra podcast about it. All right, another Patreon question from Jay. His is actually kind of the inverse of James's question. So he goes, of the guys that restructured their deals or signed the one-year deals, who will make it to the opening day roster? I think we kind of touched on Big Dan a little bit. You know, I, he might be more likely to go. I guess Paul, of the guys who signed the one-year deals to avoid arbitration, who else, I guess, is or isn't a lock to make the opening day roster? Uh, Arcia, I think, will make it. Um, but catcher is the other one that I think it depends a lot on how they actually perform in camp and in spring training. So it's hard to make a prediction there because, I mean, I thought we'd have the answer by now <laughs> um, since the and I'm, I'm honestly not sure I'll I'll put money on Omar making it and Pina not just because of handedness. But that's that's like kind of kind of as far as I'm willing to, to wager on that. Yeah. And Vogelbach, I think it's just on the rules and we'll see if, what the rules. <laughs> yep. I would take Omar over Pina in terms of likelihood and also just what I think is best in general. I agree. And I, I, I think Vogelbach largely comes down to the DH. My answer is the most vague. I think one of them gets cut. <laughs> like, I don't know who yeah. it's going to be, and I refuse to predict what David Stearns is going to do to his roster because historically <laughs> we've seen predictability, but also in that yeah. predictability is a like a horrible tremor of just chaos. There's some wackiness every once in a while. Yeah, so I tried to guess what he was going to do with this non-tender deadline, and then he signed two catchers. I don't know. Which yeah. I wonder almost, sometimes I wonder if those things are like a clerical mistake. They're like, aha, we've offered a pay cut to Manny Pena and we've offered a pay cut to Omar Narvaez. Whoever accepts first will be our catcher. They both accept at the same time. Crap. <laughs> and like, they're just sitting there confused. Like, what do we do now? I don't know. I yeah. guess we make it work. <laughs> like, I kind of wonder if that's what happened with Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain sometimes. Where they're like, Lorenzo Cain, here's this offer. And they're like, now in case we don't get uh, Christian Yelich, this will work out. And then Lorenzo Cain's like, I signed on the dotted line. Like, Crap. Send that okay, offer for two now. <laughs> send that offer for that catcher real Muto in the mail. And they just miss a word. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, nice. I, I don't know. I think Arcia is maybe not totally safe you know we've talked about how he improved his offense so he's not terrible now he's he's kind of around, around air average but the defense is still slipping and you know we talked about positions where the brewers still care about defense and i think shortstop is still one 
and they've been vocally displeased with Arcia for a couple of years now. And I randomly saw some ESPN article that brought up Anderson Simmons as like a possibility for the Brewers and free agency, which would be interesting. That's weird. Just that yeah, is weird. It, it'd be a weird, but it'd be like a typical weird Stern signing one, <laughs> like kind of out of left field. And I don't know, but uh, wouldn't Andrelton hurt Simmons be so much fun though? Because you'd get the defense you always thought you were going to get from Orlando Arcia. Finally, yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know that. I just don't think RC is totally safe. And he signed the, uh, if one of those deals were like the ultimatum sign this, or you're getting non-tendered, I think RC might've been one of those, but it's just a gut feel. I have no real reason to say that, but I don't know. I, I, I'm just not convinced that he's totally safe. The I other just thing think he's too, a fine yeah. player to pay $2 million for. Yeah. yeah. The second he I gets mean, more than that, it's a, more iffy right you're also yeah. probably right that he's not totally safe but literally 90 percent of the roster is probably not totally safe like <laughs> that's a good point too yeah like <laughs> outside right. of christian yelich yeah. and, and woodruff and yeah I, you know i mean I, even like I, avi probably isn't fully safe i mean this is the last year of his deal with an option like yeah. just be that's like eh, whatever go away exactly <laughs> well i guess uh speaking of guys who may not be totally safe we do have a, a late-breaking Patreon question from Darren Jones. He says, prediction time. Does Josh Hader get traded this offseason? And Ryan, no hedging. What, <laughs> what's your answer? No, I don't think he does. Okay. You said no hedging, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if Brad, Josh Hader is younger and more talented than Brad Hand. But if Brad Hand isn't getting picked up on waivers, why am I going to bet that teams are going to give away capital for cheap capital for Josh Hader? Yeah, I think that the trade offers would be actually surprisingly underwhelming. That's yeah, kind of mm-hmm. my gut feeling. That's the problem is Hader's going to make less than he would on the open market, but he's still paid going to be paid pretty well. So, yeah, it's it's not going to work out financially in, in financial crunch time for everybody. So okay, I would have said for sure he was going to be traded in normal times by now but i i agree you're just not going to get enough back for him it, it makes sense to it makes sense to have him on the team for another one at least my answer final answer is no head her is no he's not getting traded the, the if he gets traded i would bet it's asset for asset a la like trent grisham for Luis urias where it's mm-hmm. okay let's trade josh Hader. we take money back and we get this Third base, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. That we think is going to make our team better. That's basically the only way I see it happening. Is this a, if a team's like, okay, well, we can get better at bullpen and not actually expand the money that we're spending, or but it's not really a competitive thing to do. Trade Josh Hader, eat a contract of a player who will be who will exist on your roster and be okay, who has you know some extra cost, and then get some better prospects back because of that. But it, it basically would have to be kind of like a basketball trade where like no cost is really exchanged through the team. Right. I can't see them taking like a true prospect for him. I think it would have to be somebody who's basically major league ready. Maybe, you know, with right within the right. first well, few months well, of the season. When I say prospect, I mean like double A, triple A type player. Yeah. Yeah. Hater for Clint Fraser. I'll keep saying it until it happens. <laughs> Probably won't happen until July. Uh, I guess my answer is no. He does not get traded this offseason. And I think uh, letting Corey Knable go kind of just reinforces that. I think maybe it would have been more likely if they would have had Knable and Devin Williams there as kind of the fallback options. But 
with a lack of Corey Knabel now, I, I don't see them moving him this offseason. One last Patreon question. Adam Post has a fun one. And this seems right up David Stern's alley. He says, uh, which players non-tendered by another team most intrigues you as someone the Brewers could add? So uh, Brad, Brad's telling me he's got an answer here. They add Archie Bradley, then they trade Josh Hader. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a good right. one. Archie Bradley like was not tendered like by it. the Diamondbacks. That's it's, like something I would do in OOTP. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, my answer was going to be Eddie Rosario. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a former guy with MVP, like the power plays well, Miller Park, blah, 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 all that stuff. Like, he yep. seems like very David Stearnsy in terms of like the profile. But now, following up from the last question, the Archie Bradley answer is just much more fun. <laughs> Paul, I guess, what are, what are your thoughts? Who's your pick? No, I'd like David Dahl, um, but I think everybody else does too. And so there's going to be too much competition for him. But uh, they should get Schwarber because. Um, because he is a Milwaukee-shaped person and would sell a lot of jerseys. <laughs> a lot of he, beef on a lineup with Big Dan is, and Schwarber. Is, yeah. And Schwarber is also still young and left-handed and all of the Stearns-y things. I mean, he'll probably get too much money, too, because he's shown a, a good amount of pro- promise and somebody will pay him probably more than the Brewers will. But uh, yeah. he, he's a nice fit. Uh, he's like if you, what, you, what you think you... Everybody who saw Vogelbach play last year and put up those numbers in small sample sizes, that's what you could get over a full season with Kyle Schwarber. So um, that's also would drive the Cubs insane every time you hit a home run again. So there's lots of like side benefits to doing this. Um, And so it's worth doing just for that reason. You got Jersey sales, you got Cub annoyance, um, plays well in Miller Park. That, that's what they should do, but they won't. So. In small anecdote to go along with the Schwarber thing, my buddy was listening to 670 The Score, and I guess the second like it was announced that they're non-tendering Kyle Schwarber, all Cubs fans were like, well, it's okay because we're just going to sign Daniel Vogel back. No. Uh, <laughs> the, the cheaper Kyle Schwarber. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, he's cheaper. That's why we kept him. Suckers. That's weird. I, I, they, I, oh, that's right, because Vogelbach started with them, and they all yeah have had yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. I, I they, they, they pick Schwarber the over Vogelbach essentially. Yeah. Oh, the Brewers are going to play Vogelbach at catcher. No. <laughs> Schwarber. 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 Left fielder and was. catcher on his. Sorry. On his he's, rough page. He's got the versatility David Stearns likes. So I want to go a little bit off the map here and take a guy that. Uh, so it was Aaron Gleeman who writes for the Twins Athletics, the the Athletic for the twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was talking about players that they could potentially sign. And one that he fell on that I think is very interesting is Jose arena who was non-tendered by the Marlins. Mm. And this may seem like weirdly out of the box and his numbers this last year were not that great, but he has in the past shown a very nice split between his, uh, his walk rate and his strikeout rate this year. There was almost no split. He had a very poor season that way. But he still throws high velocity, and he has some some breaking stuff that I think the Brewers would be intrigued by, and they could potentially look to make him a, a bounce-back candidate. And I think this goes to a larger point I wanted to make about what I think they might do this offseason based on their payroll. Now, I don't think they necessarily need to have a low payroll, and maybe they won't. But if they do, if they do end up saying, okay, we're going to try to stay like around an opening day payroll of like 80 to 85 million. One way that they could try to do things 
is to really play up run prevention as their strategy because it would probably be among the cheaper things to be able to do. And I know we all want to see them like beef up that lineup and get back to a lineup that is much better. But if they were to look at it and say, okay, we think Yelich and Hira and Garcia and you know perhaps Narvaez, we think these guys were all significantly worse last year than they will be going forward. We think they all had down years. And we're going to count on them having bounce backs because if they do, we're in fairly good shape. And if they don't, we're kind of screwed anyway. Even if we go out and add some some extra players around, that's not necessarily going to get us to where we need to be anyway. So we need to bet on these guys having bounce backs anyway. And if we surround them with guys who are more focused on run prevention, defensive players, mm-hmm. like maybe Andrelton Simmons does fit into that. So maybe that when yeah. I said that would be weird, maybe this this would fit well into this idea. But if they focused on run prevention and beefed up, say, the back end of the rotation with a guy like Urena or added more bullpen pieces from all the guys who got non-tendered, that this could be a way for them to basically say, okay, if those offensive players bounce back, we're going to have at least a competent offense. And if we can really excel at keeping runs off the board, then that is our best path towards contention under these financial limitations that you can argue whether or not they're needed. But if that's the, the financial limitations that they're going to impose on themselves, then that might be the best way for them to go forward under those strictures. Just a thought. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I think we've definitely seen more of a focus on run prevention with the Brewers in the last few years, right? Like, especially with the pitching lab. That's the entire reason you do that is to kind of unlock that potential. And maybe Urania is somebody like that who uh, can really benefit from that extra instruction. You know, he's got the raw skills. And now it's just kind of honing it in, into maximizing that. But I think that'd be a decent pull. I think in terms of run prevention, I don't know if you're looking to replace Ben Gamble, Albert Amora could be a decent defensive outfield. He got let go by the Cubs too. There's always that. I mean, you know, looking at other pitchers, Carlos Rodon got non-tendered by the White Sox. And granted, he's probably extremely broken, but he's bad. He's, he's a, real bad. He, he's been bad, uh, but he was a former Brewers draft pick back in the day and decided to go back to college. And he's always been the one that got away from me uh, in terms of uh, prospect hugging. So, I don't know. I, I saw his name pop up, but he, you know, he's had a lot of injury issues. And and if he had signed with the Brewers originally, he may not have these injury issues because he got really, really worked at NC State. Like they really, yeah, he really did. pushed him. He did. He developed that cutter and ended up being way better than I think even the Brewers thought he would be right away. And then, yeah, college college coaches are going to be college coaches and run guys into the ground. So look what, what happened. I know, uh, but. You know, Rodon is still only 27, 28 years old. I mean, if if you maybe sign him to like one of those one plus one deals where, you know, you let him rehab for a year and then you bring him back. I don't know. That that could be a very Sternsy move, too. Yeah. I mean, I guess the point being there's a there's a lot of interesting arms, especially that they could kind of uh, work their little magic on it and kind of take uh, lower risk flyers, I guess, than according to Knabel and see how that goes. But uh, definitely, you know, a, a large number of non-tenders too. So that just kind of adds to the glut of free agents out there. And hey, I'm sure probably by design <laughs> keeps the the salaries of the free agents out there down as well. So 
Uh, definitely a lot of interesting names out there. A uh, reminder, if you do sign up to become a patron, you get question priority on this podcast. And we actually have some new patrons to talk about, Ryan. We do indeed. We actually have three of them. Uh, welcome to Alex Err. That may or may not be a uh, pseudonym, but that's that's what he's chosen to go <laughs> Al- by. Alex is, um, Al- Alex is active on the Acme Packing Company Discord. So I know Alex. Welcome, oh, welcome okay. to the show, Alex. Welcome, Alex. And we got a, a $10 a month from Jeremy Reese. Thank you, Jeremy. That was kind of out of nowhere surprising. So that was, thank you, Jeremy, for that. And we also have Corey Diedrich. Nice. So three people in the last two weeks. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Thanks. And you are now all eligible. All eligible for Paul's uh, bobblehead giveaway. Do you want to remind folks who you got there? In nine days, doing the bobblehead giveaway for the the MVP bobbleheads. One for Giannis Antetokounmpo, one for Aaron Rodgers, and one for Christian Yelich. Just so you guys know, I will... When I do that drawing, I will do that in in an order. So one, two, three. If you come up first, you'll get your choice. Come up second, you'll get your choice of what's left. And if you come up third, you'll get whatever the other two didn't pick. So we'll uh, we'll go with that. Okay. What do you think the order is going to be for that? Yeah, that's interesting. I I think it. Uh, so just because of the podcast we do, I'm guessing Yelly and Aaron probably go one two. But yeah. you know, Giannis. Um, Maybe he signs the Supermax this weekend or something like that. I could see it driving his value up. I'm not sure. <laughs> it could, could go a couple of different ways. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on the market and, and see how that affects the choices. But yeah. yeah, a few more days to sign up to become a patron, $5 or more, and you get entered in to win one of those. Uh, we also put out a call for questions every week on our Twitter account. That's at MKE Tailgate. You can always just reply to that tweet with your question. Or you can follow each of us individually, send us questions. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Brad is at Brew Crew Blue. And I'm at James L. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to our podcast, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere else you do listen to your podcast, hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, please leave us a kind review and help other people find the podcast. In the meantime, we're going to wrap things up here, but thank you for listening this week. Hope everybody stays well. We'll see you next time on Milwaukee's Tailgate.